last lesson we taught, I forget when. But anyway, we got down to about the tenth verse. But to bring us up to date, let's kind of rehearse it just briefly. We really should pick up with the eleventh verse. But to get the full flow of the chapter of Isaiah 49. Actually, this is the servant of Jehovah in his mission. It's talking about the Lord Jesus himself. It refers to Israel. And Israel is a type of Christ too. And if you remember, we mentioned how that when God spoke to Israel as his servant, he also was referring to Jesus in the future as being his divine servant. And uh, we find that the servant speaks in verses uh, 1 through 3. Uh, He complains of failure in verse 4. And then God's answer, Jehovah's answer is verse 5 to 13. And then you find in verse 14 that Zion speaks, and then God answers Zion. So, God has an answer for all those uh, problems that we uh, seem to have. Let's look at verse 1, and kind of, we'll try to hit very lightly as possible, till we get down to verse 10, because that's where we left off. But notice verse 1, it says, Listen, O isles, these are the uh, distant lands, Unto me, this is the ministry of Jesus. Of course, it is the ministry of Israel as well, but basically referring to Jesus. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. He not only called Israel from the womb, as we've already explained, but he called Jesus from the womb and named him, of course, Jesus. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. If you remember, Jesus was named before his birth, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Then you get down to verse 2 and it says, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Remember God's word, the word of Jesus is like a sharp, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so he is the word of the sharp sword proceeds out of his mouth in Revelation 1 verse 16. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. This is like an arrow. A polished shaft. Like an arrow that will penetrate. In his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel. Notice that he's addressed to Israel here. But we prove to you in our last lesson, in whom I will be glorified, we prove to you that it applied back to Israel, God's firstborn that he had chosen, and then it looked forward. Remember we gave you three passages of Scripture, one in Hosea, I believe 11 verse 1, Exodus chapter 4, and then Matthew chapter uh, one or 2, Matthew chapter 2 verse 15, where you find that out of Egypt have I called my son, referring to Christ being called out of Egypt after his, after they fled into Egypt. So it looked back to God's chosen nation. It looked forward to God's chosen Son. And so when Israel is addressed here, the full, the full and true Israel of God is Jesus, the Messiah. So the things that are applied to Israel here as a nation are applied to Christ prophetically. In verse 4 it says, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. 
Now, no one of his own appreciated him. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. And as far as humanly speaking, people would think that Jesus labored in vain. But he says, my judgment uh, is with the Lord and my work with my God. He says, I work the works of him that sent me. Verse 5, and I'm just giving you a gist of the things, trying to, at least I have a hard time not passing passing over stuff. In verse 5, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. By the way, God has a hand in forming from the womb. Do you hear today where the seven little babies were born up there? I hope they make it. Yeah, four boys and three girls that they've been anticipating. Okay, but uh, you know, this would do away with these people that, want, that are for aborting babies, even at an early stage, because God uh, said to Jeremiah, what did he say? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I ordained thee to be a prophet to the nations. Before even conception. So God has a hand in all life, and it begins with conception. In fact, it begins before that. God says, I'm going to give life to that family, to that, that woman, to that man. And He predicts it. He, he purposes it. God has a purpose for you and I being here. The Bible says we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. If we are, we had to be in His mind before the foundation of the world. Okay, in verse 5. Though Israel be not gathered, the middle of verse 5, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be, be my servant to raise up tribes, the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. God says to restore his nation, Christ would be the restorer in the future of his people. And to be the restorer, he says it's a light thing. Because God is going to do more than that. Look in this same verse. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. This is the greater thing. He would not only restore Israel, but He would be a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be to my salvation, be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Unto the end of the earth. God's servant is a light to the nation and a comfort to His people. In verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One, to whom man despiseth, man despises that Redeemer, to whom the nation abhorreth, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. So, though He is despised and rejected of men, Kings did arise and worship him at his birth, and kings shall bow down to him in the future. In verse 8, it says, uh, Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee. Look what God says. This is the future work of Christ as, as king and what he will do. He says, I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, Christ is the covenant for the, of the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners. Now Christ, the covenant leader and covenant uh, servant of God, is going to uh, say to the prisoners, go forth, and to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, 
and their pastures shall be in all high places. Now then, the scripture is so full that God is not only saying to the prisoners that were then in Babylon that they would be delivered out of the darkness of their despair and their uh, situation, but he's saying to the prisoners of the future, prisoners of sin. Remember, Jesus said, I came to set free those that are in prison, to heal the brokenhearted, to loose those that are in prison. In his first sermon that he ever preached, in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him, on me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised. He goes on to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he quotes from the book of this same book of Isaiah. And he says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day that Christ fulfilled that scripture in their presence. Because he was sent to be that salvation and that deliverance. For people, You know, I love to point this out when we get to that passage of Scripture. He said, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And Isaiah has one more statement comparing Luke 4 with Isaiah, I believe it's 61. He says, Isaiah has one more statement. And the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus didn't say, and the day of vengeance of our God, because he would not say that this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, because the day of vengeance is yet future. And it was yet future in Christ's day. So he stopped at the exact proper place to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Had he said the day of vengeance of our God, then all judgment would have broken out. It would have brought to end if he could have said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So, you know, the Scripture is very accurate. It, it, it's right down to the, every word, every jot and tittle. Every dotting of the I and crossing of the T. And of course, we know that in the original Hebrew, that that simply means the way it was written in Hebrew, little specks and spots. If you've seen Hebrew writing, and Greek too is much different than ours, but anyway, the Hebrew especially, with little dots here and there, Little crosses and every kind of thing. And uh, so anyway, that's what that refers to. Let's look down in verse um, uh, 8. To establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. In verse 9, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth and to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways God will provide for them, and their pastures shall be in all high places. Now, here's where we left off with verse 10. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor, uh, nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water he shall guide them. And we find in the book of Revelation where it says he'll lead, lead them by fountains of living water. And they shall not hunger. They'll not thirst. Even in the Old Testament, as far as Israel is concerned, the Bible says the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. God gave them a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to guide them in the daytime. Uh, a pillar of cloud to hover over them in the daytime. A pillar of fire to guide them in the night to light up the way. And that same pillar of cloud and fire turned and went from before them to behind them to protect them from the enemies and stood between them and the Egyptians. And it's typical of the Holy Spirit who is our guide throughout the day and night and also our protector from all evil. 
So there's a lot of wonderful truth in God's word, isn't there? Look at verse 11. Now, this is where we're supposed to pick up. It says, and I will make all my mountains, oh, I will make all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. There is nothing that shall stop God's plan of salvation. He says, I'm going to make a way when people think there is no way. I was thinking of what Brother Randy spoke of a little bit ago about this certain one we need to pray for. It kind of reminds me of Naaman the leper, you know. He had everything going for him, but he was a leper. If you go back and read in the book of Second Kings chapter 5, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, he was captain of the host of the king of Syria, it says, was a great man with his master, look, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. Now listen. He had everything that a man could have going for him. But the next statement says, but he was a leper. A blighted life. And it reminds me of modern man today. A man may think he has everything in this world that he needs. But there's always a worm in that big, beautiful apple, isn't there? And I mean, you bite into it, that's about what you'll get. Because every man has his trials and his problems and his things to deal with. And most of all, when a man is depending upon everything in this life and has not the Lord, he does not find satisfaction until he finds the Lord. And he can endure a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow and a lot of trials if you have but the Lord with you. You can go through those things. And you can come through those things. And you will. And one day, these things will pass. And they'll pass. And if they don't pass in this life, they'll pass when we go on to be with the Lord. And we hope and trust. We have a light in the valley for us to assure us that they, many of them will pass in this life. Because Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. All right, let's look at this next verse. He says, I will, I will make, verse 11, I will make all my mountains away and, and my highways shall be exalted. So there's a place where God will exalt His ways for people to have a, a way of salvation. Verse 12, Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem, the distant lands, Sinem, Actually, some say it means China, and others refer to Libya or the northern part of Africa. But we don't know exactly where it refers to, but uh, China seems to be the uh, main uh, interpretation. But whether it is or not, it's from distant lands. And it speaks of from the uh, north and from the west and from far off. So God's going to gather people from everywhere. And they're going to find that His salvation is sufficient for all. And then in verse 13 it says, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. Now look, why should the heavens and the earth and the mountains rejoice? It says if God is calling heaven and earth and all of creation, all of His wonder of creation, to rejoice at what? For the Lord hath comforted His people. You see, it pleases all of God's creation for God's people to be comforted. Whether it's Israel of old or whether it's you and I today or in the future. It pleases God. And it makes a happy creation for God's people to rejoice. And you know God has a claim on every soul. 
we talk about the evil over there and the Iraqis and so on. They're souls of men. And regardless of all the political things that are going on, and, and I know that they've got a wicked leader and, and so on and so forth, but every child upon this earth should have an opportunity to turn to God. And we know there's uh, people can be prompted in a mob fashion to put down anyone. They, they've already been... Uh, trying to get all of those people to ride on there down with the USA on their sidewalks and so on. With Gave them all chalk, you know, have big boxes of chalk telling them what to write. Well, you can prompt people to do anything. But that doesn't mean that there's not some good hearts in all those little boys and girls that if it could be persuaded to do right, and if they could be persuaded to trust the Lord and have the love of God in their hearts, and a better understanding of what this world's all about, instead of a lopsided view, there might be a difference. There might be a difference. God loves all souls. We used to have the children to sing, the little boys and girls stand up here and sing. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And brother, we need to come back to at least having that in mind in our hearts, that God does love all souls. All souls. And that's why we sometimes send people to minister to, to those that are the least thought of and seem to be most uh, wicked nations in the world. And yet we find that they need help. Okay, let, let's look at this. God's people are made to rejoice. And heaven and earth is to rejoice over God comforting His people. Look at verse 13. For the Lord hath comforted His people and will have mercy upon His afflicted. And by the way, at that time, Israel was afflicted and they were in captivity, in Babylonian captivity. And God was promising them deliverance then, historically. And by the way, He promises us deliverance now, uh, uh, to put it on a practical basis. And also, there's a future deliverance of His great people and nation uh, in in the days yet to come. Look at verse 14. Now, we said that the servant said in verse 1, and God answered, beginning with verse uh, 5. And then we said Zion speaks, verse 14, and then God answers, beginning with verse 15. Now, what did Zion say? Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Not only Zion, Israel, God's people, but you and I sometimes say, Lord have forsaken me. But it's not true. It's not true. When we think God has forsaken us, we're just mistaken. When they thought God had forsaken them, He was about to deliver them out of their captivity. And by the way, if we ever think that God has forsaken us, it's not true. We may forsake the Lord, but God's not going to forsake us. And He gives us the... The verse, a couple of verses here. He says, can a woman, this is God's answer to that, can a woman forsake her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, this is very unlikely, but there are instances when they do. Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. God says they may forget, but I'm not going to forget. And you know, there's so many reasons why God will not forget. But here's the, the thing in this one verse. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. 
Thy walls are continually before me. To cut into, I have graven, that means to cut into the palms of my hands. It speaks of permanence. God says, I can't forget you because I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. As far as Israel was concerned, God had as much as graven them upon the palms of his hands. And what is applied to Israel, to the seed of Abraham, is also applying to the church of God today, and it applies to you and I as every individual of the, and member of the family of God. We're as if we're graven upon the palms of His hands. He says, Behold, behold. This is a word of wonder. God says, I want you to look. I want you to realize that I could not forsake you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Many times we have that word behold in the Scripture. The Bible says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, Behold, I come quickly. After the resurrection, Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet. He said, It is I myself. Look at me. Behold, I have graven thee. I have graven thee. Who did that? God Himself. God says, I have graven thee. The Almighty, the Omnipotent, the great Creator of all things. No human hands have done this. I have done this. I have graven thee. He didn't say, I will do it, but I have. We're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. The council halls of eternity, we were graven in the palms of His hand. It's a thing of the past. He looked down through the ages and saw us. And He said, I've graven them on the palms of my hands. I've cut them into the palms of my hands. I have graven thee in the palms of my hands. Not printed, not stamped on the surface, not on the hand of man, not on the rock which may be washed away with time, but he has engraved us into his own very flesh. You talk about belonging to God? You think you belong to God? You think he'll forget you? How could he forget you and I? Behold, I have graven thee. Think of yourself. Thee. Your very person. Not your name. Not your picture. But you. Your very being is graven on the palms of His hands. By the way, even with all your weakness, with all of your plight, with all your imperfection, with all of your sin, with all of your trials, with all of your inconsistencies, Everything about you, God knows about. Sometimes you come to God and you'd like to, the Pharisee says, Lord, you know, I do this. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess and I do this and I do that. You don't have to tell God what you do. He knows what you do. But the old publican would not as much lift up his eyes unto heaven. He, now, I'm not worthy to do that, but smote upon his breast and he didn't say, God, I've done this and I've done that. He didn't try to justify himself in any way. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, you know all about me. You know what I am. See, God knows about you. You think that he doesn't consider you as you are? He's not going to wait till you get perfect and then say, well, I'll put that one down on my hand. Because you're not going to be perfect till you're perfected in His presence. We strive to be uh, more like the Lord would have us to be. The Bible says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
But we don't, we don't reach that perfection and we shall not reach that perfection until He presents us holy and without blame before Him in love. Until we're uh, presented in His presence in glory. Perfected. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. This means that God's re- remembrance of His people is constant. If you had something engraven on the palm of your hand, I'm not talking about tattooed. I'm not talking about printed. I'm talking about with a graven tool and cut into your hand. You would be very likely not to forget it. And you would be very likely to have a constant remembrance of whatever that is. God has a constant remembrance of that. He will not forget you nor forsake you. And God's remembrance... uh, of you is practical because you are engraven on the heart of the on the breastplate of the priest of the Old Testament and upon the shoulders of the priest of the Old Testament. Let's get both of them. On the shoulders there were the two onyx stones that had on each one six names on either shoulder of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, making a total of twelve. And on the breastplate, there were three rows of, by four, three by four, three rows of four each, or four rows of three each, whichever way you want to go across. But that made twelve, and upon each of those stones was engraven, engraven the name of each one of the tribes of the children of Israel. So that actually the priest carried before him, upon his shoulders, or with him, upon his shoulders and upon his heart, on the breastplate, Representing all the family of God, all the earthly family of God then. He carried their names on his shoulder for strength and he carried them upon his heart for a love. And Jesus does the same thing. He is our great high priest and he gives us the strength that we need and he also bears us constantly upon his heart. And furthermore, according to this scripture, we're... Graven in the palms of his hands. I think that's a pretty good indication that he will never forget us. On his hands, his omnipotent hands, to effect our redemption. Remember, they drove the nails through the hands of Jesus. And that might be where that graving took place, was on Calvary's cross, because there the nails were driven through his hands because of our sins. He was nailed to the cross. And do you think that he will ever forget because we see him in glory as a lamb that had been newly slain in sacrifice? In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, chapter 5, we see him as a lamb that had newly been slain. In glory, we're going to be reminded of the nail scars in his hands. And and we're going to see him as the newly slain sacrificial lamb. And we're going to recognize that we're still engraven in the palms of his hands. And you think God would ever forget you? He couldn't forget you. Jesus couldn't forget you. He'd say, for their sins, I was crucified. And I had those nails driven through my hands. And in the driving of those nails, is God leaned upon that graving tool. And those nails were driven in the hands of Jesus. We find that He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we're healed. The Bible teaches that That was a permanent graving of you and I with our sins and our shortcomings with all about us so that God Almighty will never forget us. He paid the price of our redemption. 
I believe the Bible teaches some wonderful, great lessons. And that's where we are. You might say, well, where am I today? You're in those nails that were driven through the hands of Jesus. That's where you are. That's where you are. Do you ever stick a little splinter in your hand? I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? Just a splinter. Well, Paul's got one right now. It hurts. One time, just before I surrendered to preach, no, it was after I surrendered to preach, but it was very close to that time because when I went to the first church up in uh, Piatone, Oklahoma, to preach, I had my hand bandaged up. But what happened? I was working for a company in Wichita Falls, Texas as a trailer service and supply and, and repair man. And I had, a, had to repair something in a mobile home. And there was a tuba two out of oak, two inch, two inch, tuba two about so long that I was planing down to do something, some kind of cabinet work in the trailer. And I had a big old 16 inch joiner. And the plane, you know what a 16-inch joiner is. And I was going down through there, and I came back at an angle. You usually plane at a little bit of angle. And I went down that board, and I came back at an angle. And the edge of that, when I came back with my hand like that, a hand on the knob and this, it had a triangle of splinter on the edge of that tube before, uh, tube to oak, and it drove it right into my hand right there. And it just put it in a king. They finally, they had to operate on it. They couldn't find it. You know, it wouldn't show up on an x-ray. Went to Wichita Falls and they operated on it. But anyway, to make a long story short, the doctor after his over said I could have gotten it easier through here. Anyway, that hurt. Jesus, Jesus had nails driven through his hands. And they are a permanent record of the redemption of our, our souls. The Bible says he suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I believe that our remembrance in God's presence is constant, it's practical, it it shows his love, it shows his uh, care for us, and it shows that he will never forget us. He was done so in redemption. Look at verse 17. Thy children shall make haste. God's children... He was speaking now back of old when Israel would be delivered out of uh, Babylonian captivity. They'll make haste. They'll be delivered. Thy destroyers and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. In other words, I'm going to deliver you. Then it says in verse 18, Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. In other words, God's people will be blessed in spite of all their the uh, opposition and the captivity. Verse 19, For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall... Look, the place that was to you desolate and thy waste places, it says, what will it be? Shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants, and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. In other words, you're going to increase so much that the, that the place will be too straight for you. Too narrow. You won't have enough room for the increase of your, of your uh, family. Verse 20 says, The children which thou, thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other, they lost many in the Babylonian captivity, shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. 
They're, they're going to be amazed at the increase of their family and the population and God's blessings upon them. Sometimes when you go through terrible trials and terrible things in your life, aren't you amazed at when you get on the other side of how blessed it is and how good it is on the other side of that uh, captivity, bondage, or whatever it might be? Well, that's what they were so amazed because they had so many more. They had lost many, but now they have many more. Now look at verse uh, verse 21. <clears throat> then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these? In other words, where did all these come from? Seeing I have lost my children. Where did I get all this family since I lost my children? And am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. And who hath brought uh, up these? Behold, I was left alone. These were... Uh, had these, where had they been? Because it would be amazing at the great, the growing population that they would have. Now verse 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. What's he say? I'll lift up my hands to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. God's standard was to go before, you know, they, the tribes had the standards, the standard or the flag or the emblem of each tribe that went before them, the twelve tribes. Each one of them had a different emblem. And God Almighty has an emblem for all of His people to follow. And He would not only lead His people by His standard, but even the Gentiles, He would set up the standard before them and lead them. You know, usually a standard or a flag or an emblem is what you stand for as well. So we might put it in a practical application and say that what God stands for, He goes before us with that and we're to follow that kind of standard. We're to follow that kind of emblem. We have our flag of the United States of America. And we know that flag, what that flag stands for. It stands for our freedom. And we follow that because it stands for freedom. It stands for liberty. It stands for a nation under God. And so we find that a standard that God sets up, it stands for God and all He stands for. The emblem. Now let's go on with this next verse. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. Look at this. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. You know, when God brings judgment upon uh, His people's enemies and opposition, He does it for the purpose of letting others know that He is the Lord, that I am the Lord. Now, what, what does He say here? For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. They'll not be confounded. They'll not be ashamed. They'll not be confused. They'll not be disappointed. That word ashamed carries all these different thoughts. If you look back in Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28 and verse uh, 16, it says, uh, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, the word make haste means that he shall not be disappointed. 
that he shall not be ashamed, that he shall not be confounded. In fact, in the New Testament, it's applied to all of these. In Romans 10, verse 11, it says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 1 Peter 2, 6, shall not be confounded. Here it says, shall not make haste. So it really means that he who comes to God through Christ for salvation shall never be confounded. He will not be disappointed. He shall not need to haste to flee away to anyone else because he will have found complete satisfaction. And it carries all those implications. He that believes on him shall not be ashamed. Now back in our text, Isaiah 49, look at this. It says uh, in verse uh, 23, and we'll hear in close, Thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as the eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. It's 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I like that verse because it teaches us to wait upon the Lord. It teaches us that at some point we can really go, we can fly. And at other times we can run. But listen, you know the thing I like about it? It teaches us that we will continue to walk. You know, you can't always fly and you can't always run, but you can always walk. God wants us to walk. And the Bible teaches us to walk with the Lord faithfully. That, in, that indicates a consistency. The, the disciples were only one time on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Only one time. The rest of the time they were walking through this life having to do the things the Lord wanted them to do. And it seemed like people always want that high experience. You don't have it every time. But you can have a consistent experience. You can have a constant experience. You can have the Lord by you and with you day by day, day in and day out, in good or bad, whatever. So you need that consistency. Have you ever seen some people that, boy, one day they're just on a high mountain. They say, boy, I feel so good. The Lord's been so good to me. I'm glad. But where are you the next day? The next day, these... Peter, James, and John came down to that mountain of transfiguration. The first thing they met was a little boy demon-possessed. And they had to do something about it. And they couldn't, so Jesus did. Alright, let's go to this. Quickly, we have three verses we'll close. It says in verse 24, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? The question is asked. But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the turbos shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee. God's on our side. He said, I'm going to contend with him that contendeth with thee. And then he says, and I will save thy children. He's the one that does the saving. Look at the last verse. And I will feed them that are oppressed, that oppress thee with their own flesh. And they shall be drunken with their own blood. In other words, here is a siege situation to where that people... Uh, are in a siege in a city, and they end up a cannibalistic type of people, cannibals, uh, as a sweet wine. And then, in verse, the last part of the verse, and all flesh, this means all humanity, all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, 
and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. God will verify who He is to you and I as well as He did to Israel of old. So thank you for your patience and your kindness.